Case file number 6.06. The APT files. Elfin and Lazarus. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. Nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No. How is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. And and the other one. The other one. Ymir. He's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief. What would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief. All I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. Hey, Emir. Hmm? Yeah. So I don't have a good opener this time because this is this is uh, I think our first attempt at a joint uh, like normal episode. That is true. Can I give a suggestion? Just because you told me sure. the name of it. Um, uh-huh. since listeners won't know, but we're taking kind of a break for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. so we have, uh, risen back from the dead. Aha! Aha! What we're doing is, uh, we talked about this. We did an episode last year in, in the first year, um, about the first APT group, APT one, um, mm-hmm. the comet crew, but we're doing something that, uh, that we talked a little bit about during the year end special about doing, uh, a couple of episodes, some episodes, we'll try not to do a bunch in a row, telling each other about a particular APT group that we've researched. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So bringing it back from the dead, I'm going to do <laughs> the Lazarus group, who's actually shown up a couple of times in the past in the podcast, but we'll get to that. So attribution of their stuff goes back to about 2007. They are a North Korean group attached to the technical surveillance bureau in the North Korean military apparatus. So they're a nation state actor group directly employed by a foreign power. Hmm. Um, North Korea is a small country. And because they are uh, one of the few pariah countries in the world, they don't get a lot of information transfer from other countries, or at least it's very circuitous and, and they don't get the, the premium stuff. Right, um, right, yeah. So what they've been doing, and I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, is they're identifying talented people, people who are talented in kind of computer science, mathy kind of way. Hmm. Um, and they pluck them out of school at like junior high level, like around 11 to 13. Hmm. And they put them through a bunch of special schools and they go into Best of my understanding, only one of two fields, attack side, cyber warfare stuff, or uh, nuclear science. Mm, okay. Yeah, Which sense. is probably not, the, the first one might be a shock to some people. The second one, probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so they've concentrated a lot of their talent pool in these things, and that's part of how they're able to accomplish these things. 
with a small population and not having a lot of reinforcement or and as we've talked about before having having a uh, good like university system like having a strong middle class is actually kind of important because those are the people that are going to have the level of education to gravitate towards these things right yeah yeah it's not just a numbers game it's also a like continue uh, a full like life education thing which is why the US has been punching above its its weight class relative to countries that have three times its population Mm-hmm. Yeah. Them's just facts. Not criticizing anybody. Them's just facts. <laughs> um, so from about 2007 to 2012, they were almost exclusively targeting South Korea. Gee, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were they really started for, with disruption and sabotage type stuff, basically denial of service type things. In fact, one of the kind of through lines with a lot of their stuff is they tend to have denial of service and wiper type wear. They have a toolkit of those things and they keep developing on that. Right. Yeah. They, they have a lot of lineage of like wiper wear, especially. So right around when they started looking outside of South Korea, it's about 2013 and 2014 is kind of their, the first big pin in the map. They were the guys that did the Sony Pictures hack. Mm-hmm. So they released some documents and payroll information. And they also released copies of movies that seemed to come from like screeners, DVDs and stuff like that. Right. One um, of which was, I think, uh, the Seth Rogen film. Yes. The Seth Rogen film specifically about it. they denied it, but they said, oh, it was a it was a legitimate thing to do, but it wasn't us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, given the level of specificity that I was reading through at this point in time. I'm pretty sure that the Department of Justice, basically the FBI, got it right. And they did charge, basically, in absentia, specific folks in North Korea for that hack, along with some of the other things we're going to talk about. We actually don't have a lot of details on the Sony Pictures hack. What we do know is there's a uh, there's binary correlation between them. Mm-hmm. Right. So we believe they were that it was one of their wiperware mechanisms, but... At this point, the fact that they got all, they exfiltrated all the information that they did, this is exactly what we're talking about. An advanced persistent threat. It wasn't a smash and grab. They had that stuff for a while. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, they actually didn't get very much out of this one. They got some stuff in the news and stuff, but they didn't do much to Sony. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really cause any problems. And they didn't really make any money. But kind of their really big thing happened in 2016. And like, this is the coolest part of it, the craziest part of it. So, and this is kind of, the dates are actually kind of important on this one. On Thursday, February 4th, 2016, okay, they started their attack. What they were doing was they transferred almost a billion dollars, $951 million mm. from the Bangladeshi central bank's account with the New York Fed to Manila in the Philippines, to a specific bank in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Now, as part of this, they messed with a printer that that the Bangladesh National Bank had running, which kept a paper record of all all transactions. Oh, okay. So they jammed up the printer so nobody could see it, nobody could see what was happening. And then, but 
Bangladesh is on the other side of the world from New York, basically. Right, yeah. So they couldn't get anybody on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then the Fed went on on Friday and went about their business. And then Bangladesh couldn't get a hold of them. And then there was the weekend <laughs> where it's the Lunar New Year, which is actually kind of a holiday weekend for them. Mm-hmm, right. So this is well-timed, even surprisingly well-timed. Well, it was actually deliberately well-timed. They'd gotten a piece of malware in through phishing about a year earlier. Ah, okay. So they had persistent access. They had everything mapped up. They knew they, but they had a year to decide what they were going to do. And I think that's actually an important thing. I mean, a, the persistence we already knew that they were capable of having. It was the fact that they took a year of time to figure out what they were going to do and how they were going to go about the heist. Because what they were stealing, that $951 million, was the entire currency reserves for the country of Bangladesh. Oh, damn. Yeah, they were stealing literally every penny in the cash account (laughs) of Bangladesh. Right. They did not aim low. Yeah, yeah. Damn, okay. So the plan was to transfer a bunch of this money into dummy accounts, charities, casinos, you know, just spread it to the winds, make it really hard to track back. But not all of the, the transfers went through. In fact, only five transactions ended up going through. Oh, really? And the reason for it is dumb. <laughs> so one of the big banking streets, maybe this isn't a good analogy, but like Fifth Avenue on mm-hmm. um, in Manila is a street called Jupiter Street. Okay. So this bank had its address on Jupiter Street. And coincidentally, there was a tanker ship that was Iranian flagged that was on this ancient list. Mm-hmm. And because Jupiter showed up in the address, those transactions got flagged. Oh, interesting. But, and here's the thing, five transactions did get through. Yeah. It's like, well, it got stopped for a not awesome reason. And I can understand how that's not the easiest thing to do. Because I, when I first read it, I was like, well, that's dumb. Why Why would you, why would you do that? And then, then I got to thinking about it, that I could very much see situations where somebody, you know, reused the same handful of like specific words for various pieces of information, company names, people's names, whatever. So you would want to do like pattern matching outside of particular fields. Right. Yeah. So like, okay. First glance looked like, man, what are that? What was that? Second glance. Okay. I can see why the system would work like that, but I, I would be worried that you'd get like a super high false positive rate. Mm-hmm. But so five transactions got through a $200 million transaction that was going to a Sri Lankan charity got stopped because of a typo, <laughs> but the remaining $801 million got through. Mm. And one, some of that money went to a, 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 a Filipino casino in Manila. And, okay. and they had agents on the ground that went in and used that money to play Baccarat. Really? Because, yeah. Well, I mean, if Some James Bond shit. Yeah. Well, the thing is, for anybody who doesn't know, your best odds 
in the casino, meaning the ones that if you play straight, you lose the least amount of money, is actually Baccarat. Hmm. There's a standard, hey, if it's this, bet that. And the house's edge is, as I recall, 1.1%, whereas Blackjack is 1.5, playing standard system. You know, the, the they sell them in the in the uh, in, in Vegas, a card of what the standard things are like the casinos know, but they know that they have an edge of about one and a half percent. Somewhat tangentially aside, I was just actually watching a video today where uh, these two Australian guys showed how easy it is to take money and launder in casinos in Australia. In fact, they walked around with shirts that said, I'm here to launder money. And we're just they just emptied like five thousand bucks into the machine. Well, I mean, this is what these guys were doing. They were just, but even at those levels, I mean, this is $81 million. Uh, takes a while still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the video, they were like, this is actually really boring just sitting here and just pushing bills in. Yeah, but in a lot of cases, from the reading I've done about money laundering, more often than not, a money laundering strategy is going to cost you, and it's going to cost you more than the... 10% or less that these that that, that this um, mm-hmm. strategy took. But again, they had a plan. They had people on the ground ready to play in order to launder this money because they had to do it immediately. This was not a thing that they could wait around about. Right, yeah, yeah. So this is the first thing that we've attributed to them that was a big money-making or specifically money-making operation. Mm-hmm. And as a nation-state actor... North Korea, I think, is a little bit unique in this because of the way that North Korea is a pariah state and the amount of remittances they get, which is very small. Mm -hmm. um, They are more interested in hard currency than almost any other nation, except for like some of the very smallest ones. Going back to the DNS episode where the Tuvalu Islands uh, use the first million dollars from their DNS stuff to get into the UN. Mm -hmm. But Unlike most of the other nation-state APTs that I have any awareness of, they actually do money-making stuff, right? Uh, uh, like as a, as a big part of what they do. So in 2017, the other kind of big things that they were known for is they were the they were the end attributed group of WannaCry. Mm-hmm. Uh, WannaCry showed up in a ransomware episode, and it showed up in the episode we did about Eternal Blue. In the Shadow Broker episode. Hmm. Listening to them afterwards, I was a little embarrassed. Like, I didn't put this stuff together in my head when I was doing <laughs> these episodes. I feel like a schmuck. <laughs> so this brought up pain. Um, and then there was also a denial of service network called Hidden Cobra that was that was pretty big. Mm. And then right now, the most recent stuff, the last couple of years, one of them was a thing. This is a this is kind of like another thing that they showed up and I was like, wait a minute. No, I went to a talk on that. This was them too. Mm-hmm. So they're not the only group that does this, but they were one of the specific groups called out in using recruiting as a vector to infect individual people. Gotcha. They'll target people based on their skills and they'll send Trojan files and stuff and try and get access to their stuff. So like mm-hmm. a, be careful you too could be targeted and b that is a really good real world case of why we're why we don't want people to bring work home with them as in work on their own their own personal machines mm-hmm. yeah, no, that makes sense 
that exposes all of that, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like I said, there is a talk in the last black hat about, about that. I don't didn't dig up the name of it. They uh, had a whole campaign of uh, Trojaning various uh, open source tools. Uh, the big one was putty, but there were a few variations on putty and a couple other tools. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last one, I think the most recent thing, Microsoft reported them uh, and Microsoft calls them DEV dash 0139 that's that's their uh identifier for the lazarus group mm-hmm. um they did uh crypto theft and that what they did was a kind of a combination of essentially phishing and social engineering they would get into these these crypto ch- trader telegram channels where the exchange and the um the investors are on a telegram channel together oh, okay and then they like peel one off and say hey get me come into this other telegram channel with me so we can finish this business. And then they send them like Trojan Excel files and stuff like that. <laughs> and a, so both the recruiting vector and the crypto vector are all related to affinity schemes where if you're in the inside, if somebody has got a context in which they're putting you, you get through some trust boundaries. Mm, right. A recruiter isn't targeting you for malicious stuff they're just trying to pay you less than you're worth um, yeah exactly it's a different scam <laughs> not every recruiter but i've had my fair share mm-hmm. and the crypto stuff is like everybody in crypto like once you're on the crypto inside they use telegram rather than any kind of validated mode of of of, of communication this is uh not dissimilar if you think about it to some of the stuff in FTX and FTX where they used these these chap type mechanisms for all of their transaction control information rather than having a fully validatable system. I find that funny when you think about a blockchain as an immutable transaction record and yet for when that came to them do actually doing business they didn't really do that. You're right. Funny. <laughs> um but that's the Lazarus group. North, North Korea's uh cyber special forces. Very nice. Yeah, for, for mine, I went I went with Elfin, mm-hmm. which is also known as APT33, or better known as a verb for when you're just doing elf things, like Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings or LARPing. And they're a group that's just primarily focused on the Middle East, but they also have targets within the US, South Korea, you know, just kind of sprinkled across the globe. Mm-hmm. And they're primarily interested in attacking aerospace, energy, petrochemicals, and aviation, along with other things. And a lot of their activity started around 2015, 2016. They tended to scan vulnerable websites to identify you know, the potential targets and have compromised a wide range of targets, including a lot of you know actual governments in these countries. 42% of their attacks, observed by uh, the semantic article that I was reading, uh, were all focused against Saudi Arabia. But the U.S. was a significant interest. We have 18 organizations attacked from 2016 to uh, 2018, and that included a uh, a good chunk of like Fortune 500 companies that they had actually hit too. Then they were focused on the the externally facing uh, web uh, mm-hmm. components. I mean, yeah, I, that's important in contrast to the Lazarus Group, which is uh, phishing type stuff. Completely different vector. Yeah, they, they do a lot of phishing as well too. Okay, and I think a lot of the organizations that they're attacking in the U.S., South Korea, and others have ties to the Middle East, okay. especially in the aerospace division uh, area and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. In 2019, they attempted to leverage uh, the exploit for WinRAR, which was CV 
And that was used against the target in a chemical sector in Saudi Arabia. And they've used that. They've seen that happen like a few times that they've tried to use that specific vulnerability. But they tailored the malware to the target. Yeah. And, you know, the vulnerability allowed attackers to perform remote code execution if they were able to uh, get the job done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their chosen method was delivering uh, a file named jobdetails.rar via spear phishing emails. Um, Mm -hmm. So kind of the same thing like recruiting. Apparently, uh, Symantec had actually rolled out protection against that vulnerability just prior to this. So, yeah. That's why intelligence and timing is so important. I mean, we've gotten to the point where your intelligence flow is really important to how you defend against things. It's not just your controls and patching. Like that's been a transition over 10 or 15 years. And that's kind of the reason why we're not in a world where open source on its own is good enough because you need intelligence, which requires an infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And have we talked about uh, Shamoon? Uh, No, we haven't talked about Shamoon. I was kind of staying a a little bit away from it because it is the, it is probably the largest publicly just like breach in history in terms of like the level of impact mm-hmm. so this actually kind of has little little tentacles in shamoon because in 2018 when there was a new wave of shamoon attacks uh elfin came back into focus mm-hmm. um because one shamoon victim in saudi arabia had been infected by a stone drill which was malware used by elfin and since this the attack and shamoon were on the same victim and happened so close together theories started popping up that this group was linked or perhaps mm-hmm. had even orchestrated shamoon in the first place Mm-hmm. In in terms of their toolkit, uh, they have a vast array of stuff. They have NoteSuck, uh, which is also referred to as Turned Up, that was mm-hmm. can be used as a backdoor, gather information on the compromised system. Stone Drill, which I just mentioned, another backdoor tool, you know, able to download files to it. Uh, it also has a destructive portion that can wipe the master boot record mm-hmm. of the infected system. And then they use auto IT backdoor, which is just a backdoor written in the auto IT scripting language. Okay. And beyond that, they use uh, Remcos, which is a, a rat and, you know, just used to steal information. Dark Comet, Quasar Rat, uh, Puppy Rat, uh, NetWeird, which is a backdoor tool and file downloader. And they use a, a bunch of public tools as well, like uh, uh, Mimikatz, GPPP Password, mm-hmm. uh, Sniff Pass, and a handful of others. So Symantec actually wrote up kind of a play-by-play attack on a U.S. organization that occurred in February of 2018. And all of it started at uh, 1645. Uh, An email was sent to the organization advertising a job vacancy at an American global service provider, which contained Mm -hmm. a malicious link to a web server that was running on port 880. Mm -hmm. And the user clicked the link, proceeded to download and open the malicious HTML executable, uh, which loaded the content from the CNC server uh, via an embedded iframe. While all that was happening, the uh, code embedded within this file also executed a PowerShell command to download and execute a copy of chfeeds.vbe from the CNC server. A second JavaScript command was also run that created a scheduled task to execute the chfeeds.vbe uh, multiple times yeah, a day. School. Uh, it was basically every every two hours from what they showed that was set it up to run. And so that VBE file acted as a downloader and it was used to download the uh, secondary PowerShell script named registry.ps1. Mm-hmm. This downloaded and executed a PowerShell backdoor known as posh c2, which is a proxy aware CNC framework. Mm-hmm. 
the attack became active on the system later at 2057. So, you know, all of this has happened within the span of four hours and downloaded WinRAR and deployed an updated version of the POS C2 stager. The tool was downloaded several times between 2329, February 12th, and uh, 7.47 a.m. on February 13th. And on February 14th at 15.12, the attackers returned and they installed the Quasar remote, or the Quasar rat, rather, onto the infected system and talked to the CNC server. All that was installed in the app data folder under roaming Microsoft crypto as a smss.exe which I feel like I've, I've seen that one used a lot because there's so many SMSs.exes that will sometimes pop up in your, um, your feed. Um, so the attackers then ceased uh, activity while keeping just access to the framework until uh, February 21st, so about eight days later. Mm-hmm. At 6 a.m., the attackers downloaded a custom.net FTP tool to the system and started using that to exfil data to a remote host. Fast forward to March 5th, that was the next time they were observed actually on the system. And they were using the Quasar rat to download a second custom auto IT FTP XFIL tool uh, by the name of Fast Uploader. And they installed it under an Adobe directory and Fast Uploader just allowed them to basically XFIL data much faster than just using a typical FTP client. Honestly, the techniques that you're talking about are not super sophisticated. And I mean, and I'm going through as you're describing them and like, Here's a control, here's a control, here's a control that should be in place from web filtering. And you've heard me talk about gray listing, which I think is a really strong control to PowerShell restrictions on people's systems. And uh, honestly, I'm a firewall guy and I think you should only be able to go out on 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 eighty and four four three out of my boundary. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you want to do anything else, you got to sign some paperwork, man. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> it's not very sophisticated, but if you don't have those controls in place, you don't have any awareness. Yeah, and it, it also just shows like kind of you know the snowball effect of like you know they're just piling on different exploits and different ways of doing things. So, you know, get to exactly where they want. And from March 5th until April 18th, they downloaded a tool called uh, Dark Comet, and they installed that as well under the startup menu programs uh, as SMSSS.exe on the system of two. Mm-hmm. 15 seconds later, the installation of a credential dumping tool was done, and PowerShell Empire was used to bypass logging on the infected system in order to run yes. PowerShell commands. And in order to do that, that user is probably running with admin privileges, which is also a one of those standard. You shouldn't be doing that on your network. Your user shouldn't have admin privileges. Exactly. Like admin privileges and probably at some point he had set the execution policy to unrestrict it for PowerShell. If they didn't already do it to make their own admin job easier. Ha ha. Yeah, exactly. Beyond, beyond that, uh, most of that activity just kind of consisted of updates to all the tools that they had loaded onto the system. Mm-hmm. And so the, this group uses, uh, you know, as I said, like a variety of tools. They also use something called uh, Alpha Shell, which I hadn't known about until reading this article. And it allows them to basically just send spear phishing emails and load them with malicious HTML application files. Via the user? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, they have, they have uh, registered multiple domains to impersonate different companies, uh, such as mm-hmm. Boeing, uh, El Salam Aircraft Company, Northrop Grumman, and uh, Vinel. 
I had to look up Vanel because I was not familiar with that one. And they're actually an international private military company based out of Herndon, Virginia, and a subsidiary to Northrop Grumman. So, you know, all of their tax kind of focus around, you know, a lot of, you know, third-party aerospace groups that, you know, work for the government. And uh, Mandiant went ahead and identified uh, APD-33 malware that tied it to an Iranian persona who may have been employed by the Iranian government. And they ran under the handle X-Man underscore 1365 underscore X. And this person, you know, looking through their history, they were able to see that he or she was a community manager in the uh, Barna Menevius Iranian Programming and Software Engineering Forum and registered with the Iranian uh, Shebgard and Ishiani Forums. One of the droppers used by them also is uh, known as Dropshot that's been tied to wiper malware shapeshift. And in 2017, Kaspersky uh, compared Stone Drill to the Shamoon 2.0 variant uh, that pointed out a lot of the similarities, but some differences between the two as well, like Dropshot uses a more advanced anti-emulation technique and has external scripts for um, Mm -hmm. self-deletion, along with using memory injection for its deployment. And so, yeah, their their ties to Shapeshift suggest that they may share tools with other Iranian-based threat groups, and their targets align with the Iranian national priorities for growth, specifically like, you know, the petrochemical production and aerospace and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that sounds a little bit more like, or or I think cross-pollination was was, as, uh, like, at least as likely as the idea of of them being the same group as that that did Shamoon. We've definitely seen in the research uh, one I saw a talk that was about phishing in. I it was a uh, Hong Kong or Taiwan. I forget which one. Uh, it was definitely Chinese language, but not China or not like pure China. I think it may have been ta- Taiwan, but like that they, they called them chickens. For them, it's the, instead of fish, it's chicken. But they did a bunch of um, graph database stuff, multigo stuff, showing how uh, cross pollination must have occurred between different groups oh interesting um, because of specific parts of the binary that and features that showed up in one group's uh malware that was part of another group's malware it's like maybe a guy moved groups or something like that right, right yeah, some yeah. Of his code with him yeah that kind of stuff so we know that that happened that we, like we have we have uh good research that shows that that kind of thing happens and i think that that may be more likely but you going through all of that stuff i'm like all of these things that that seem like a lot of busy work, like domain protection stuff, various services that you can buy for or that you can pay for for that. There's there's lots of good companies that that, that do that kind of work. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh well, why would I do that? It's like because people are are making domain names that are similar to yours mm-hmm. for phishing stuff, and then all of those like stand what we consider standard enterprise controls because they're part of the government standards mm-hmm. of what we need to do uh, all the fisma related controls and stuff like that the ca- the case that you just brought up was basically a textbook case of here are the reasons we have all of these controls yeah yeah exactly it's a little it's a it's a little funny to me that was just like nope right here this is why we do all of this stuff mm-hmm. We have a real world example of exactly what was happening, what's happening here. Yeah. Um, so, so they're definitely Iranian or is that, or is that a, is that a speculative attribution? I think it's still speculative, but it's pretty certain everywhere I looked, they were like, yeah, they're Iranian. Like we don't know hundred percent they're Iranian. Right. Well, so there's this level of certainty that 
in a lot of these situations, we're not going to get like perfect attribution certainty. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about some other stuff that it's like, we think it's X or we're not going to say it's the U S but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what everybody thinks. Here's what I'm going to say that we don't know of any example where we've had a fairly high level of certainty on our, on our attribution. We're still, and people are still saying, well, it could be something else where they've been wrong. Mm-hmm. That starts happening, then maybe I will I will turn my level of certainty. If you say it's an eight, I'm, I'm like, no, nah, it's a nine and a half. Um, <laughs> right. It's like I'm willing to be convinced, but it's a nine and a half. Mm, yeah. Well, that was actually pretty fun. Um, yeah. I think we should we should probably do this do this again. Um, I especially like like you know the article that I found that just had like the play by play, like you said, like it's really interesting reading that because you're like, oh, like here's where like all these controls could fall into place. So we'll do other ones of these, but maybe not the very next one. <laughs> Sounds good. Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.